Good morning, Chair City Church. How are you doing today? Thank you, thank you, thank you. I really am encouraged by your enthusiasm. Glad to see all of you. Now, the last two weeks, I've been talking about a spiritual condition, in particular, our spiritual condition as we endure difficulty in our lives, when tough times are upon us. Now, if you weren't here for the last two weeks, that's okay. It'll have no bearing on you following today's message. The two weeks themselves were related, sort of, you know, similarities or building on the same subject, but not connected. And today, we're kicking off a series called When God Doesn't Make Sense. I chose this series because I was, you know, looking to continue on this theme of uh, how to handle, how to see God, how to handle life, how to approach God, uh, how to navigate our faith in the midst of tough times. And after the first message where we closed out at the movies and we, t- we talked about that skyscraper movie, how to stand strong when things go wrong, and then last week's message, their strength to strength, how to go through the, you know, valleys and the mountaintops, I, be, I was getting emails from people, from you, and, and conversations, and it was really speaking to me about what it meant to you. You know, we had a series planned for this month. Maybe we should show that and stay on this subject of, you know, dealing with difficulties in our lives, but in particular, our spiritual formation, uh, you know, our spiritual strength. What does that look like in the middle of these tough times? So I came across material by Pastor Craig Rochelle, and I thought it was very applicable to what we're trying to accomplish here, that how can we know God as he desires to be known? How can we understand God in a greater way when we're going through life's challenges? Because the way we handle that to the extent that we know God as he desires is going to have a significant magnitude on our maturity within our faith, and we want to have a mature faith. So when we have these seasons, right, you know, where we cry out to God, we call out to God, we pray to God, we talk to God, but when all is said and done, we just don't feel his presence. We just don't. We just don't have this sense that God is with us. And if I had it kind of, if you will, summarize into a few words what we're feeling and thinking, I would say, God, I think you're inattentive, uncooperative, and late, right? Have you ever felt that way? Won't ask anybody to raise your hand or stand up or wait. But have you ever felt that God, I just, I don't think you're giving me attention. I don't think you're cooperating with where I'm at and what I need. And Lord, just, where are you? And, and even when you should, what's going on here? You're just late. You know, these thoughts creep up in us more and more when we're going through hard times, and yet they seemingly are magnified when we look around us and we see others seemingly cruising through life, even others who aren't as good as a Christian as we are, right? And things are going well. Heck, how about that, those people? They're not even as a good person as we are, and they're cruising through life and everything seems to be going well. And then you pick yourself up and you literally crawl to church to get there because it's the right thing to do, and you come in, and as you come in, there's that person, and they're glowing, and they're smiling, and they come up to say hi to you, and they're like, you're never going to believe what happened. Yesterday, I was at the mall, and I saw the summer dressed. Oh, I just had to have it. It was per- the perfect summer dress. And 
I went to get, and they didn't have it in my size. But I prayed. And I prayed to God. And, and, and I went to the clerk and I said, you know, is there any chance you might have this in stock or you know another store that has it? And she goes, you know what? Hold on for one second. And she went in the back and came out. She had the dress. And it was my size. And it was discounted too. Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. He answered my prayer. And, as you're, and you're using all your energy, you know, to, to, to smile. But inside, you're just picturing wrapping your hands around this person's throat. You know? Or if you're less violent, maybe you're imagining them like spilling coffee on that dress or some irreparable stain. You're talking about a dress. I mean, I've been praying for my child to come back into the faith. My adult child, watching them navigate life and, and, and all the... I'm praying for them to come back. I'm praying for my husband who's struggling with emotional or physical difficulties. I'm praying for, you know, we, we, we've been hiring a month or two months on our mortgage and the rent is due in a week and we don't have the money. I'm praying for these things and you're talking to me about a dress. It's hard to be in a place of pain or suffering and to be in the midst of that and you come to this place where you think God is not paying attention. God is inattentive. God seems to be silent. And then we come to this kind of idea, forms in our mind, if God is silent, God must be absent. We might not state that because that would be like heresy, but there's this thinking that comes into our mind. And it's this way of thinking that really kind of moves people towards a springboard of leaving the faith. Just moving on from the faith. And, and perhaps some don't leave the faith, meaning they don't disavow God. They still believe in God. But, but if you examine their life, there's, not much, no, there's nothing going on that's meaningful that would give you any indication that they have this relation with God or that God is meaningful in critical areas in their life anymore. And then you have some that they begin to leave the church and, and leave meaningful relationships that they gained in the faith. Others, you know, they hang in there. They limp into church. They're walking around with somewhat of a disabled faith, if you will, where God is secondary, not primary. God is kind of intermediate, you know. Is they, they don't want to throw God out. They don't want to leave the church. And, but yet they've come to a place where, wow, you know what? Is God really present? And so, you know, I'm going to try and move this along as best as I can do this. Our faith dwindles, our hope dwindles. But I want you to know today... Just because God is silent does not mean God is absent. Just because you don't hear him doesn't mean he doesn't hear you. Just because you don't sense his presence doesn't mean that he is not present. I want to talk with you today about a story. I want to give you some background to the story. There was a man named King Herod, Herod the Great. You might have heard of him. He is a part of that story of the birth of Jesus and you had the wise men, the magi, to go to see this king. This is King Herod. And the king tells him, oh, please let me know where he's born so I could worship him. But in fact, he despises this child that's been prophesied, foretold that this child would be a king, and he's the king, and he's a king of the Jews. And so the magi go on their way, don't return to him, and he sets out in a malicious way and has every two-year-old or younger male killed amongst the Jews. Well, that King Herod the Great, he has a few sons, and one of them is named King Antipas. Well, actually, King Herod Antipas. The other is Herod Philip. He's not a king. And so 
Herod Philip, say Philip, he meets a woman named Herodias, marries Herodias. They're hanging out, living. One day his brother, King Herod Antipas, comes to visit, sees his wife, Herodias, takes a liking to her. Long story short, Herodias digs King Herod Antipas. She leaves her husband, Philip, and goes and marries King Herod Antipas divorces his wife at the palace, sends her out packing, and then Herodias comes in, and they get married, and there they are now living in the palace, king and queen of Galilee amongst the Jews, right? So did you follow me there? Okay, so now another character in the story is a man named John. You might know him as John the Baptist, right? And John was the cousin of who? Jesus, right? John was zealous in the faith and very zealous for the righteousness of God and God's law. Well, John was really popular amongst the Jewish people, and John was kind of like an in-your-face crazy guy who's out there in the highways, the byways, the deserts, and he had his message was really baptizing people to re as they repented of their sins. And John was really outspoken, and so what John, and, and he'd be out there wearing animal skins and eating wild honey and locusts and bugs and proclaiming God's truth. Well, when John gets word of what King Herod Antipas and his wife, new wife Herodias have done, he speaks out against it. He comes against it. And the king and his wife Herodias, they don't like that. But the king, you know, he kind of doesn't want to kill John. Maybe he does, but, you know, but he has these mixed feelings, even though his wife wants John dead. So with that background, let's jump into Mark chapter 6, verse 17 through 20. It says, For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. He has John arrested. And he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his wife, his brother Philip's wife. The Bible still calls her out as Philip's wife whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to have him killed. But she was not able to because Herod feared John. John was very popular amongst the Jewish people. And he protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. And so Herod, from fear, from respect, he doesn't want to kill John, so maybe he sends him this message and tosses him into jail for a while to be disruptive. Now, John is a cousin of Jesus, right? John is preparing the way for Jesus' ministry on earth. John knows who Jesus is. I mean, from the very beginning in, in, in the Scripture, we read of this relationship between John and Jesus. And, and so you have Jesus' mother, Mary, the, the Virgin Mary leaves her hometown in fear of being ostracized, persecuted, goes to be with her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is pregnant with John, and when the two women come into each other's presence, the Bible says that John leaps in his mother's, mother's womb. Talk about a spiritual connection. John and Jesus. They grow up. John has a message given to people. We, we read about it in Mark. He says, after me comes the one Jesus who's more, more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals am I, I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. One day John sees Jesus coming and he's amongst the people. And he stops what he's doing. He says, there, right there, look. There is a Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
John is so loyal to Jesus, and he makes statements to his others that don't follow me, follow Jesus. I must decrease, and Jesus must increase. And after all of that, here is John sitting in prison for doing the right thing. So now would be a good time for a miracle, right? No time like this time for a miracle. And yet John is riding away in prison day after day. He knows Jesus is out there. He hears these reports of people being healed, raised from the dead, all these good things happening, miracle here, miracle there. But yet it doesn't seem like Jesus is doing anything for John. John begins to get confused. Doubt settles in. One day John's friends are visiting him in prison. And he says, hey, guys, I need you to, to get this message to Jesus. Actually, it's a, a question, if you could just put it out to him. So I want to read Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 3. It says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah, Jesus, was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, that's doubt, Right? That's confusion. Like, I don't even know what to believe anymore. I'm thinking John's friends are like, like, what? I mean, you've been telling me us all along he's the Messiah. I mean, you know, you ask him that question. We don't want to ask him. I can't ask him that question. I'm here in prison. You've got to ask him the question. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know I told you he was the one, but just, I, just, I, just need to be, I just need to know for sure. When our circumstances turn for the worse, we often see God in this confused way, in this distorted way, and our faith is impacted in an unfavorable, negative way. So the formula becomes, and listen up, when our circumstances are different, God is different. Did you get that? Right? So what happens is our life is driven by circumstances, not actually God. And I say this in many different ways. Huh? So, so what happens is, so the way we interact with people in our home, the way we, we speak to our wife and our children is driven by circumstances, not our faith in God. The, the affections we give to our husband is driven by circumstances, not our faith in God and how he would have us be a spouse to our husband. The, the way we, we live out our life day to day in our homes, at our job, is driven by circumstances, what's happened, happening to us, not so much God, right? So we see God through the lens of our circumstances. And when we do that, we will see a smaller God, not the God for who he truly is. Do you understand that, right? It's kind of like these sconces, right? I said sconce. I got it right. Everybody, come on. Let's go. So just so you know, if you're a guest, if I say something right or pronounce it, we, we clap, okay? So I used to call them scones, but they're not scones. They're sconces, right? Scones, which you eat. They're spelled the same way. If you want, if you want something pronounced differently, spell it differently, right? But, but these sconces here, they're, they're, they're on the wall. They're attached to the wall, but they're not the wall, right? Last week, I mentioned, I believe it was last week, that your problem is a problem, but it's not you. You are not your problem. Though when your life is driven by circumstances, and your circumstances really drive who you are and how you act, well, then your problem becomes, becomes your identity. Your problem is becoming you. You are becoming your problem. 
and you are shelving God and, and your faith is being diminished because your God is different because your circumstances are different. And so your problems are not only just hanging on you and attached to you, they're becoming who you are. But it's really not who you were meant to be. Those sconces are on the wall, but they're not the wall. Your problems are in your life, but they're not you. They're not, you understand that? They are not you. But if you have this way of thinking, this way of seeing God through this lens, that it is my circle, I look through God through my circumstances, and God seems to now change. Rather than look through my circumstances through the lens of a great faith in God, yes? So, like John, our emotions, our thoughts, our faith, it's all over the place. We're kind of drowning. It's like, God, just can you throw me a line here? Can you send me a blessing? Can you give me a sign? I mean, I've given you, I've served you, I've sang to you, I did this to you. I mean, where, where are you, right? I mean, I really need to know here. And, and you, got, you got so much time. I'm going to take this over, man. I'm going to take the reins. Yet the, the result of this thinking, the, the result of these painful difficulties what it does is it shrinks us to us, meaning we become the size of our circumstances. Do you understand that? Suddenly because of all that John is experiencing, and it is painful and it is difficult, suddenly because of all of that doubt and uncertainty, John's world is no bigger than his prison cell. That's what's happening. Well, John's friends hear him out, and they make their way to go see Jesus and to ask him John's question. And I'm, I'm, I'm just figuring these guys are wondering, like, you know what? They, they come up on Jesus, they ask him the question, and I'm, look, I'm thinking what were the faces of the disciples, Jesus' followers, as they're asking him that question, you know? And they're like, well, look, it's his question, our, our question. He's in a tough place, you know, John, he's a great guy. Jesus looks at them, and, you know, and, and it's like, the, he, the, does he say, yeah, I get it. It's been really overwhelming. I've been busy. I've been, I meant to get there. He doesn't say that. He says, tell John I haven't forgotten about him. He doesn't say that either. He doesn't say, hey, John, tell him there's no worries. You know, yes, of course, I'm the one. It's me. That's not what Jesus says in response to the question, are you the one or should we be looking for someone else? How often we stop and we look for something else, someone else, to turn around and calm our circumstances, to get us out of that situation. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Look at who I am. Look at what I'm doing. Look at my ministry. Look at me fulfilling prophecy. And by the way, God will bless you, John, because of your faith in me. That's why you are where you are, because of your faith in me. That's right, John. And you'll be blessed as you hold on to that faith and see yourself through this. Yeah, what does John do with that? It's like, okay, yeah, great things are happening. People being healed, okay. Uh, 
because of my faith in you, I'm, not, I'm here, I'm stuck in jail, I'm in prison. <laughs> you're telling me I'm going to be blessed if I keep it together, but, but you don't even come and visit me. Nothing's changing. Listen, your personal circumstances, your perception of them are not always a reflection of how God feels about you and what God thinks about you. Do you understand that? So I want to keep going in the story. So King Herod Antipas throws a huge party, right? It's his birthday, and he, you know, and he, his friends come and other officials in, you know, in the government come. They're getting drunk. They're hanging out. They're tossing one down after another. And next thing you know, Herodias' daughter and King Antipas' daughter, they, she does this dance for King Herod Antipas and his guests. Now, the king loves the dance. I don't know what kind of dance it was, but whatever it was, it pleased a drunk king and his friends so much that he kind of shows off in front of his friends. And when she's done dancing, he applauds, and this is what he tells her. In Mark chapter 6, verse 21 through 25, it says, Herodias' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. Remember, she'd been wanting to kill John. He, Herod, gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. Wow. So she went out. I mean, and he's probably thinking, like, what is she going to ask for, like, some fast camels? I mean, she's a teenager, right? What is she going to ask for, like, some nice palm dress? I mean, like, what, what is she going to ask? Two tickets to go see Justin Bieber? Whatever, you know? <laughs> so she goes out, and she asked her mother, what should I ask for? That's unique, right? And the mother tells her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurries back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Wow. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, what happens next is right before the executioner is about to cut off John's head, a bright light blasts through the, an opening in the prison wall. The, the, an angel of the Lord appears before the executioner. He's rattled. He's startled. He drops his weapon, and he runs out, and other guards follow him. At that point, John, John the Baptist, stands up, and the chains and the shackles fall off him, and he walks out in freedom. The next thing you know, John shows up at King Herod's party, and King Herod and his guests are stunned. They're in awe. Herod the king apologizes to John, says, hey, it wasn't my idea. It was my wife's idea. Uh, you know, I don't want her, you know. And by the way, you can have her. She likes my brother better than me. And not the one I took her from, the other brother I have, right? John says, I don't want her. I just want righteousness. And John says, you must all repent of their sins. And right there, they all repent of their sins. And John baptizes all of them. And when he baptizes Herod, they go down under the water and they come back up together. And after that, John goes on to great success and fame, right? He gets a large herd of camels. King Herod, Antipas, the former king and his wife, they're given the task of taking care of the camels and cleaning up after them. And last we see John, he finds a hot Middle Eastern desert girl who loves God, likes to dress in animal skins, and together they run around in the desert catching insects and eating them and live happily ever after, right? 
And that's what, that's what God does, right? I mean, that's it, right? That's the American version of Christianity right there and then. It all goes well in the end. God works through all, God works through all things for the good of those huh, who call according to his purpose. God has great plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future. God is here to serve us, right? God exists to make our lives better. That's what it's all about, right? So we come to church. It's why we talk to God because he's just going to make things better because he loves us. Now, I want to put aside my, my, when I, my, when my wife doesn't like that story. I just want it for the record, you know. I want to put aside my concocted story, and I want to read to you in the Bible what actually happened in Mark chapter 6, verse 26 through 27. And if you don't like what I did, please, maybe that's why they dumped coffee on me. <laughs> that's what happened. I never thought about it till right now. So throw food. Just don't throw, I don't even like coffee. If you're going to take exception with me in the lobby, throw some food. So Mark chapter 6, verse 26 through 27, it says, Then the king deeply regretted what he had said, King Herod. But because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. And that day, John the Baptist was beheaded. So I like my version better, right? <laughs> what do you do when God doesn't seem to be paying attention? What do you do when God doesn't make sense? You might want to look back. You might want to pause and look back and remember God's faithfulness in your life. The very reason that you could be calling out to God had to come from a moment where you knew he was so real, where he awakened you of your need for him. To look back and remember the goodness of God, that he's a good God and he's a good father. To remember his faithfulness and what he's done in your life, how he did and has brought you through circumstances. To reflect on what you know of him, what he did for you, what he's called to you. Like John the Baptist, we get to the point where we think our circumstances, especially when things are not going well, they're this re reflection of how God loves us or how God feels about us. But that's not true. The cross is a reflection of how God feels about you. Did you hear that? It is the cross that is a reflection of how God truly feels about you. Not what you think is happening within your circumstances. Not what's happening in your life. God has a plan and a purpose for you. God had a plan and a purpose for John the Baptist. What was that? To prepare the way for the Lord. Did John get that done? He did. We know that John accomplished in life what God called him to do. It didn't happen the way John expected it. Wouldn't be the way I would want it. What was God's purpose in having John prepare the way for Jesus? To send Jesus, his son, to die on a cross. Did God accomplish that? Did you? Yes, he did. There are times when we think it, it should happen the way we planned it, the way we expected it, the way we imagined it. But that might not be God's plan, that it's going to happen that way. There are things that have happened in my life that honestly I've hated the way they've come to be. But I've not, I don't turn away from God. I don't hold it against God. I don't place my faith on hold. When I was 17 years old, uh, I, I, uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, in the city. Uh, I actually went there uh, Friday, you know, every other year. 
I took my family to New York City and, and Brooklyn, and we go first, as you know, we go down to Coney Island, we, we grab some pizza, you know, and then from there, we head into the city. It's a big deal. We went up this time after grabbing, you know, all the, I've been going there the last three times, coincidentally, that my favorite pizzeria was closed, Totono's, and so my kids and Chrissy haven't been able to get any, and uh, this time, I, they, they were open, and I got them. It, it's just the best pizza in the world. It's phenomenal. And uh, so we had some pizza with the Tonos. It's the longest operating pizzeria in the United States. And so after that, we went up to, uh, we went up to One World Trade Center. We went to the top. It was cool. It was magnificent. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go from the first ground floor to the 102nd floor in 42 seconds. It's like, whoa, it's like a ride, man, right? So 17 years old. My parents leave Brooklyn to go move to Long Island, which is like a suburb of Brooklyn, and, and it's terrible for me. I mean, you know, hanging out in the city with my friends, like every night, you know, 50 to 100, 125 kids hanging out, and no matter where you went, it was just like fun and, and just connection. I had so many good, you know, close relationships there, and now they up and go. I didn't have a car. None of us had cars or license. You don't need one. You had the subways. Heck, just taking the subways was, was half the fun of the night, all the crazy stuff going on down in there. And now they're living out in like this country. I'm there. I go there with them. And you know, after a short time, I, I wind up coming into relationship with God, which is a, an amazing thing. It's a great story. And, and I do. I really come, come to experience God in a meaningful, true way. But, you know, over time, that pain of not having those friends, of not being amongst, you know, I was really popular and just of not having some of those relationships and then hearing what happened to this one and what's going on with this one. And, and it just was really overwhelming me. And my circumstances was worsening and worsening. That even though these people were so good to me, literally they reached out to me. I was, I was in the streets. They took me into their homes, uh, cared for me. You know, uh, family after family, all that goodness, all that wonderful exposure to the kingdom of God. After about nine or ten months, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. Because, you know, I'm like, okay, look, it's just not getting better. I have the assurance to go and to have what I had. And so I left the church, and, and I really left my faith. And I went back to hang out and to just resolve uh, that emotional difficulty that was weighing on me. And I went back there to live in the city. Only time in, that, only time in my life during that season that I contemplated taking my life. I've never struck that one time where I had these ideations, these real thoughts about I don't want to live anymore. I think I want to take my life. That's how depressed I had gotten. And so, like John the Baptist, we get to that point where our circumstances are just overwhelming, right? Our circumstances just bring us to this point of we have this different view of God, and we interpret God through those circumstances. Listen. Do not interpret the goodness of God through your circumstances. Instead, interpret your circumstances through the goodness of God. You don't have to understand the plan to trust in God's purpose. Right now, you might have pain physically. You don't have money to pay bills. Your loved one, that contract within your business, it looks like it might not come through. And you're praying and you're praying, why, why, why? You don't have to like the plan. Just trust God and his purpose and know that he's a good God. Trust in the goodness of God. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, we see Jesus. He's a short time away from being crucified on the cross. He knows this is out there to happen. He now comes across what we know is the Garden of Gethsemane 
I want to read the scripture. It says, he, Jesus, went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. What Jesus was praying is, hey, father, I don't like this plan. But may your purpose come to pass. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was crucified in a brutal way on the cross. I don't like that plan. As I say, it's the most beautiful and brutal happening in the history of the world. Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, hanging on the cross, looked up to heaven and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, why are you silent? Why don't I send you here right now? Why aren't you doing something? Just because God is silent does not mean God is absent is there anyone in here who believes that God was absent when Jesus was crucified? A lot of our faith, the maturity of our faith, the strength of our faith determines, it's determined on our view of God in the middle of these difficult circumstances, in the middle of pain and of suffering, of depression. A lot of how we will grow and mature in the faith will be dictated by how we handle our faith and how we view God in the middle of challenging and difficult circumstances. I am confident that God was in anguish as he watched his son crucified to fulfill his purpose, which was that you and I might have forgiveness of our sins and that we could know God, to be in the right position to know God because Jesus took on the penalty for those sins when he died on the cross. He shed his blood on that cross for you and for me that we would trust in God. I don't like the plan. I like the ending of the plan. I like the purpose. I don't like the plan. But know that Jesus willingly trusted in God and followed through with the plan and seeing God as he was meant to be seen, his Father in heaven, the mighty God, and yielded to that, knowing God's purpose was for you and me to have eternal life. That same Jesus will never leave you, will never forsake you. He's the same Jesus yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And God does have a plan for you and a purpose for you, for those who love him and who are called according to his great purpose. God's purpose is good all the time. Why don't you pray with me? If you're in here and things are going really difficult right now, Father, I pray comfort and I pray peace. If you're thinking God is not making sense, I'm just, I'm just going to toss it out there within my head. God is just not making sense. I pray, Lord, oh God, help your child, oh God. Bring a calmness to them, oh God. Heal them, oh God. Help them, oh God. Help them to see what you've done in their life, the forgiveness, oh God, what Jesus has done for them, oh God, how you have sustained them and carried them, how they're here today, oh God, and have this moment to build their faith, to mature in their faith, in their trust and confidence and love of you, oh God. Lord, guard our hearts and minds today, Lord. Help us to lean on to you, to turn back to you today, O oh God. Heal our marriages, our, our homes, O oh God, as we live out from a place of our faith in you, not circumstances, O oh God. Have mercy, forgive us, O oh God. We confess our sin, Lord, O oh God, of being driven and overwhelmed by the circumstances and not leaning and loving and trusting in you, but not today, O oh God. Today we cry out, we need you and we love you and we'll put our faith and our trust in you in Jesus' name. Today we are talking about a God that at times doesn't seem to make sense. 
Remember that God is fully man and fully God, Jesus. He was willing to become one of us, to die on the cross for us, so that in the end we would be forgiven. He rose to life so that we would have hope. For those of you who came in today and you did not know God when you came in, you, you did not understand him, you have not lived a life following Jesus, you have lived a life almost entirely based on circumstances, day to day, present and past. But today, God has awakened you of your need to him. You sense you're being stirred. Your spirit has been awakened. And today, you turn to Jesus. You turn from living in a place of sin and confusion and overwhelming and turning away from God and taking control. And today, you are going to profess to God that you need him, you love him, and you want to live your life for Jesus. You want to follow Jesus. That even though all of life doesn't seem to make sense, the fact that you are here today and you sense God is with you and he's awakening the better part of you and your need of him, that today you turn to God. Today you trust in Jesus. No matter what's happening in your life, you're going to place your trust and your faith in him. And then and now you meet the grace and the mercy and the love of a living God. In Jesus' name, amen.